Your job is not at risk to AI. Your job is at risk to someone doing your job with AI. If we are not learning how these technologies can help us do things better, somebody else will. And so if we're set on just going, I'm gonna keep doing what I've always done, I'm not willing to change, I just wanna keep charging forward with this, someone else is gonna say, I see a better way to do this, and that person is gonna be the person who is a threat to your job, not the technology itself. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Welcome to another episode of Management Development Unlocked. I am super glad that you are here. While you still have your device in your hand, I'd like to ask the usual three favors. Number one, please subscribe to the show. Number two, please share the show with just one other person. And three, go to Gerard Training Solutions and download my free ebook on becoming a manager. Today, I have Christopher Lind with me. Christopher, welcome to the show. Who are you and what do you do? Hey, well, thank you so much, Eric. I'm looking forward to chatting. You know, when I get that question, it's always an interesting one for me to answer, but I'll answer the best way I can, which is first and foremost, I always say I'm a husband and a father of seven. So that's that's what my real calling is right now. I happen to also on the professional side be the chief learning officer for a large healthcare company here. Uh, well, actually not here. I'm in Wisconsin. They're in Miami. But I also do a lot of industry work trying to help shape and influence what I would say the intersection is of business technology and the human experience. You could have just stopped with father of seven. Holy cow. <laughs> You've got yeah, your own, they're, all under they're all under 12 too, so it's busy. You you could you've got your own football team. I mean, <laughs> when they grow up, yeah. wow. Yeah, nine people, nine people in the house. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, how do you transport everybody? What are the logistics of just getting around? So when we found out we were expecting number six, we found out we were expecting number six. We said we aren't going to fit in any standard vehicle with the number of car seats, and I refused to buy a second. Suburban because I didn't want to, you know, FBI it everywhere. So we actually found a 12 passenger vehicle that doesn't look like a homeschool van. It's called a Nissan NV. And we beefed it up. It's on a lift kit, the whole thing. So it looks like we're going into like an urban assault situation, but it's really just us and a bunch of kids going to McDonald's. <laughs> right on. Right on. Yeah. I've never heard of anybody lifting an NV, but all right. It looks pretty pretty hardcore. Send me a picture. Okay. Cool. All right. All right. Well, today's focus is the role of managers in an AI future. And I have had questions about this, and I know my listeners are interested in this. So uh, let's break this down. You know, how, how, how can we be good managers in the world of AI? And so my first question to you is, how can I, as a new manager, use technology to be a better manager? So there's really two ways that I think distinctly stand out. And I had this conversation earlier this morning as we were preparing for some leadership development for our organization. One of them is it should be freeing up more of your time to spend with your teams. So there's a lot of activities that as leaders of people that you're responsible for that aren't necessarily related to team leadership. So depending on your role in the organization, things like that. There's often a lot of data and reports that you're looking at, things like that, 
that you spend time trying to figure out, out of all this information, what is really the most important? What should I be paying attention to? And AI is fantastic for helping with that because it can quickly look at this stuff and find patterns and you can ask it questions and explain your situation and ask it to tell you out of this information, what are the most important things I should be focused on in leading a team and these are their numbers. And so just a practical example, I was going through this as a use case the other day where we get these financial reports that go out to our frontline managers and we said, put these into, we have a private chat GPT-4 model. And we said, ask these prompts to it to help you prioritize. What are the things that stand out that I should be working with my teams on here? What are the things? Because normally that's something that every people manager in the roles we were looking at would spend a lot of time sitting and trying to figure out what are the different things that I should be paying attention to. I think the other one that I see a lot of opportunity is it's almost like having a brilliant intern at your side. And so when you look at situations, and we're actually doing this for simulation around learning, where people are trying to navigate maybe a difficult conversation with one of their direct reports, or they're trying to figure out how to message something to someone in a sticky situation, and they're not sure what to say or how to consider their point of view. That's another really powerful area to use AI to help you better understand or to help you practice what you should do without having to do it in a real life scenario. Those are two off the top of my head that have been extremely impactful for giving managers just better abilities to perform. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, and, and I love, you, you only touched on this, but the whole idea of, you know, here are some prompts that you can feed chat GPT in order to, to get this, this data summarized for you. Yep. Writing good prompts is an art. It is. You know, what I what I understand, and I'm just learning about all this stuff, and what I understand is is the more and the more specific you can be with your prompt, the better you, return you're going to get. That's absolutely right. And the, it's actually called prompt engineering mm-hmm. is the technical term for it. And learning how to architect these prompts. And I think sometimes thinking about it as a brilliant intern is a really good way to think about how you should prompt the AI. Because imagine if you were talking to a brilliant intern who maybe had a whole lot of skill and the knowledge, and they were able to do a lot of things, but they don't really have a whole lot of context. And so if you ask them, hey, tell me what's in this report, they're, they're not really going to know what to give you back because they're just going to kind of go off their blind assumptions. But if you tell them the context of, I have a team and this is what they're struggling with. Here's some of the information that we're trying to diagnose. Can you give me three of the most important things that stand out in this? And help me understand what you think may be contributing to that. Well, suddenly now that gives you so much more contextual information to action against than if you just said, tell me about this information. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Nice. Yeah. I'm going to have to get into ChatGPT and start playing with it using, using that little nugget. My next question for you is one that I bet a lot of folks ha- have at the top of their mind. Is my job at risk to AI? So funny story that I was with one of my sub teams in my organization and one field in my industry, well, in our industry, I guess, that's impacted a lot or has some high risk of being impacted right now is instructional design. So that's a field that AI is getting really powerful at creating content. It can create images, it can create video, it can create all this stuff, which for an instructional designer, 
that's kind of what their career has been is creating content. And so this was a question that was directed right at me as the leader of the organization is, are we at risk of our jobs being taken away because you can go sign up for a monthly subscription to an app and essentially do what we do? And my response back to that, and this is true, I think, of anybody, your job is not at risk to AI. Your job is at risk to someone doing your job with AI. And I think that is really what we need to watch out for is if we are not learning how these technologies can help us do things better and help us improve the way we're doing it, somebody else will. And so if we're set on just going, I'm going to keep doing what I've always done. I'm not willing to change. I just want to keep charging forward with this. Someone else is going to say, I see a better way to do this and I'm going to do it. And that person, that person is going to be the person who is a threat to your job, not the technology itself. Yeah, I totally agree. And it reminds me of a, a comment that another guest made that people aren't necessarily resisting change. They are resistant to being changed. And so, you know, if somebody feels like they're being forced into using chat GPT, that might cause a different reaction. So it, it part of it could be just the way that this is presented to folks where it's like, look, here are the benefits to you. Here's the WIFM, the what's in it for me to begin using chat GPT in your job. Yeah. And what I shared as I worked through this with my own team was, you know, for many people right now, as we look at this AI future, we're at, we're in what I would call liminal space. We're at the threshold of coming to an end to something that we have been doing. And we're on the verge of stepping into something new that we don't know quite what that looks like. And that's a really uncomfortable space. And what we don't always take into account is a lot of our personal identity gets tied to the work that we do. And so when suddenly we feel like something's being taken from us and we aren't quite sure what's on the other side of that, it can be very terrifying. So some of what I've had to do with my teams is help them see how I see them working with AI and how what I really hired them to do is not these mechanical robotic activities that they often get stuck doing. It's these other things that they're doing and helping them see what that future looks like. Yeah, nice. I like that. Taking the, the grunt work off of people's shoulders and letting people be more, yes. more creative. If we're using it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember one of my favorite managers came to me and was asking questions about Microsoft Outlook. We were a, a Microsoft shop. And this is like 2000, 2002, something like that. So Outlook was, was fairly new. And he came to me asking questions about Outlook. And so I, I started on a dissertation about all the things you had to do in order to make Outlook behave. And after about five minutes of that, Jeff looked at me and said, Outlook is not the boss of me. And so I think <laughs> folks just have to realize like, ChatGPT is not the boss of you. However, it will make your life easier if you harness it properly. Yep. Completely uh, agree. Then let's let's transition a little bit to remote team management. And, and I'd love to see you tie this to AI. So my question mm -hmm. here is, how do you manage a team remotely and can it be done well? So <laughs> I am wildly outspoken on this topic because I've been running remote teams for the majority of my career. And what this goes back to even some of what we were just discussing about, you know, sometimes people get mixed up on what's going on with AI. And I think the same is true with remote team management. You know, there's an idea that 
managing a team well can be done in person, but it's either harder or not possible in a remote environment. And to me, that's the result of we don't really understand what an effective team looks like. We think we do, but we're often focused on the activities that we think contribute to an effective team instead of like what's really underneath all that. And I think the pandemic exposed this significantly in that a lot of people managers thought they were great communicators until suddenly their teams weren't in the room with them. And suddenly they realized, you know what, maybe I'm not actually that great of a communicator because I don't really know how to express these ideas. And maybe my team wasn't as on board before, but I just kind of saw them. And so, I mean, in short, can you run an effective team? Well, absolutely. I've been running global teams. Many people in my entire social network I've never met in person, let alone my coworkers. So it can be done. Does it require a greater degree of intentionality? Yes. And does it require a greater emphasis on that human side? And I think that's the connection to AI is you can free up a lot of this time that you go, I would really love to spend more time doing this with my team or the individuals on my team. Unfortunately, I just can't ever get to it. Well, so let AI take on some of that. Let it be the idea generator for some of these ways to engage with that and then actually repurpose that time for those activities. Oh, love it. You know, what, I, what I'm getting from this, the, the message I'm getting from you is, is that AI is kind of a helpmate, you know, at, at work, you know, come and use or, or conceptualize it as it coming alongside to take that stuff off your shoulders that is repetitive or drudge work or super complicated and needs a lot of analysis, you know, and, and maybe you just need to come in on the back end of it. So I like what I'm hearing from you on, on this. Yeah. I think if we use it right, it has the capability to make us more human and be more effective as people versus the opposite. Now, the, I have lots of videos on my YouTube channel about what can happen if you use it the wrong way, because it can also dehumanize us and it can make us more isolated, but it doesn't have to. And I think that's where we're in our Oppenheimer moment of, well, what are we going to choose to do with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I like it. Well, building on what we were talking about just a moment ago, can you really build effective relationships digitally? So the answer is yes, but do you have to deconstruct what is a relationship first? And I think that's where things go sideways is people are comparing an apple to an orange and they're going, well, an apple's not an orange. And it's like, well, of course it's not. I mean, of course it's not. You're trying to make apple juice and you're getting orange juice. It doesn't work that way. So you actually have to say, okay, what is it about this that actually matters? Now, I my advice on this would also differ between, are you talking about a personal relate? Like what I say, you can have as ineffective of a marriage digitally as you could in person. Like, no, my advice towards that would be, significantly different than I would say a work professional relationship where you're looking at workplace performance and things like that. So obviously you have to nuance that, but I think at the end of the day, it goes down to breaking down what makes effective relationships. It's time, it's getting to know each other, it's vulnerability, it's all these things. Can you do that digitally? You absolutely can. You absolutely can. In fact, just to give a use case in this, my brother and I 
live 10 hours apart. We have 10 years difference between us. And we rarely got to see each other, rarely got to see each other. And we didn't really connect much before the pandemic anyway. But when we did, we had a great time and it was fine. But sometimes there'd be a pretty significant gap between that. Over the pandemic, I started using an app called Marco Polo to be able to send video back and forth, asynchronous videos back and forth. And we now exchange those multiple times throughout the day, every single day. I am closer with my brother now than I have been in my entire life. Now, does that mean I never want to see him ever again? Well, no, that's not the point. It's not a, you don't replace artificial sweetener with sugar all the time, but figuring out, well, when is it the supplement that, you know, instead of not seeing him for a year, I can actually supplement and do a better job. I actually think digital can enhance relationships if used appropriately. I think <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to take a tangent here. I think about my first marriage, I was dating and then engaged to an Australian. So I was living in Australia, in Arizona and she uh, lived in Brisbane and then worked a lot in Japan around Tokyo. And we did everything via phone. This is back in the early 90s. So it was either phone or fax or letter. And I think that if, if uh, even if we had had email, for goodness sake, like she couldn't, she couldn't get email. I had barely started using email. That would have been a, a huge game changer. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I traveled a lot for work and um, back in the last 10 years, and I carried an iPad around with me everywhere I went. And as long as the time zones worked, as long as the time zones lined up, I would talk to my kids and read them books and, and put them to bed. And yeah, it's, it's pretty important to, to have that FaceTime. Yeah. yeah. Can't touch. There's right. And there are certain things at this point that we can't do digitally and we have to accept that and recognize, okay, there are obviously gaps here, but when we think about workplace performance, we have to think, are those really a different, is, is your ability, Eric, to shake my hand, going to make a difference in our ability to connect on workplace performance? No, it's not. And I think that's where we often operate under the assumption that if we're in person with someone, the relationship is good. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you right now, I know lots of relationships I've had with people who did know me, who we'd been together in person and they were not good relationships. So mm -hmm. we have to kind of throw that assumption out the window. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, continuing on our theme here of tools for managers, what are some must-have tools and tech for managers? Uh, so, and I, I will, for anybody who follows me on LinkedIn or anything like that, they'll know I'm always very cautious of like advocating for tools just because I talk to a lot of vendors, but I'll just share some of the tools that I've found to be extremely valuable for me. So, I love using an app. I specifically use an app called Fellow. What it does is it syncs up with our calendar and it allows us to plan our meeting agendas ahead of time, which to me, going back to relationships and meeting virtually, my teams are all over the place. We're very intentional about the time we spend together. And so we plan for it. And so that app helps us be intentional about when we get together and we have this live time, what are we going to talk about? And so that's really helpful for us in terms of doing that. And I think it's really helpful as a manager to keep things organized. I know that I love Marco Polo. It's great for my brother and I. I use it for my teams all the time because sometimes I'll come out of a meeting 
and I need to talk to them and I want to share something with them, but I know their schedules are all over and I will send them a quick video from me of, Hey, here's something I need to get your opinion on. I want to share this, or I just need to give you a heads up on this. This is coming your way to just, again, open those lines of communication in multifaceted ways. Again, if you're a manager and you don't have access to, if you haven't toyed around with chat GPT, you absolutely should obviously check your corporate IT policies. Every company has their own IT policies, but it is a powerhouse. And again, it's a brilliant intern to have with you. And I think we're just going to continue to see more of these tools come together like that. I mean, I could probably talk about all the different tools I use in my arsenal, but some of those are the big ones for me as I think about staying organized, staying connected and staying relationship focused. Perfect. Well, uh, we will get those into the show notes and uh, okay. folks can, can look those up if they like. Transitioning now to you, your product or service. Do you have a product or service you'd like to plug? Something that would benefit folks listening. <laughs> it's a very interesting question and I'm never quite sure how to respond because obviously I have my, my day job, but I also do a lot of advisory work. So because of my life at the intersection of business technology and the human experience, there are a lot of people who seek my help in this or they like me to speak publicly at things. So that is something that I often do, but I also would plug, I put out a lot of content to try and help people with this. So if people don't follow me on LinkedIn or YouTube, that's just a place. And that's not really a plug to buy something from me so much as I create a lot of things to try and help people navigate this. Obviously, sometimes people go, hey, we need more than that. And then I love helping wherever I can. All right. Awesome. Cool. So find you on LinkedIn and I'll make sure we come back to that in a second. And now we come to the lightning round. So this is where we get to know you a little bit better. I think this is going to be fascinating. So just uh, a few questions here just to, to, to double click on Christopher and find out a little bit more about you. My first question here is, if you could interview anyone, living or dead, who would it be and why? I would love to sit down with Moses. <laughs> when I think about and this may give you a little bit of insight into kind of my worldview and where I come from. But just even in general, anybody who knows the Exodus story and the story of Pharaoh and going out into the, that was one of the most insane leadership journeys I can even wrap my head around in terms of leading a nation out of ancient Egypt under a Pharaoh into the wilderness for 40 years. It, it, it's just absolutely bonkers when you think about the story and actually to sit down and be like, how did you manage this? Like, how did you figure all this out? And what was that like? I would be absolutely fascinated to hear the stories. Oh, so would I. Yeah, just how did you keep people focused for 40 years? I can't stay focused <laughs> Eating for 40 manna and water. Like, I, I just, in the middle of the day, it just fascinates me. It's absolutely fascinating to me. Oh, I can't stay focused for 40 minutes. And, and you want me to walk <laughs> with you for 40 years in a big circle. right. And how frustrating. I give you one rule and I walk away and I come back and you just broke the one rule. I, it's just like, how did you not just go, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm done. I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah. I have absolutely spit the dummy over much smaller things. So <laughs> yes. yeah, that, that was a remarkable human being. I'm with you. Yes. What's your favorite vacation spot and why? So I can honestly say, I don't know that I've taken a vacation in over a decade. 
And it's largely just due to the fact that with the size of my family, coordinating a trip to the grocery store is like planning a trip to Disney. But if I could, (laughs) I love the mountains. I love the mountains. I love being in the mountains. I was born in Colorado. And so if I could get all nine of us into our vehicle and go up, I don't even care what mountains they are, you know, into the mountains, some big cabin out there where we could just go out in the woods and hang out. I don't need, I'd be off the grid, off the internet, all that stuff, just hanging out with my family. That would be my ideal vacation. I suspect you'd need something bigger than a cabin. I'm thinking chateau. (laughs) (laughs) A ski lot. (laughs) Just rent the entire ski lodge. Just the whole lot. (laughs) All right. Well, then building on this, if you could, where would you most like to travel? (sighs) Honestly, that list is so long that I don't know that I could nail down a single destination. I look forward to the day and I've told my wife this. I'm like, you know, someday our kids are going to be older and they'll be grown up and I get asked to travel and come to all these exotic places. And I always have to say, that's not going to work right now. But I'm like, someday, someday I want to take you with me and we're going to go to all these cool places that I've dreamed of seeing Europe, Australia, China, like South America. There's so many places that I would love to see that I haven't had the opportunity to. And I look forward to the day when I can. Well, I, I wish you luck. I wish you, uh, I wish you good luck in getting there and, and doing that. I have yet to take my wife on any of my business trips. Uh, okay. It just, just hasn't worked out, but we're starting to get to the point where that, that could be a thing. So okay. who knows? All right. I like it. Well, if you make the transition, you let me know. Oh yeah. I'll <laughs> tell you what it's like. Okay. My last question in this section is what brings you the most joy in your life? So I say I lead with being a dad and a husband first. My family brings me tremendous joy. I really, which is ironic because when I first started having kids, it's probably not a popular parenting thing, but statement. But like when I first did, I was like, man, like this is like, what, this is not what I was thinking was going to happen in my life type of thing. (laughs) You know, it's kind of getting in the way and that attitude has completely changed. And the joy I get from being with and spending time with my family is immense. But I would also add the reason I do what I do professionally is I have a sincere joy in serving other people and helping them accomplish the things that I've accomplished. And so for me, that's why I do what I do professionally is to try and help others. It's just truly something that brings me joy. We're, we're singing from the same sheet of music. My, I have twin 14-year-old daughters, and I, I love them more than anything. And I, I do what I do because I want to help. It's simple as, simple as that. I want to help people. And I've just chosen my niche is new managers. Those are the people that I'm going to focus on professionally. That's the audience you want to focus on. That's I love it. it. Yeah, not that I'm excluding anybody else. No. But there's only so many hours in the day. You can only focus your attention on so many people. So you got to pick. That's true. And and there is scuba to be done. So there's that. That's very important. There is scuba. I remember that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Christopher. What a great conversation. Remind us again, how can people find you? If you search Christopher Lind on LinkedIn, you will find me. If you search Christopher Lind on YouTube, you will find me. Those are probably the two biggest places to find me and what I do. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? 
Get a ton of insider tips and tools at GerardTrainingSolutions.com.